Welcome to the Total Wealth Academy radio show, where wealth includes much more than just money. It includes family, fitness, romance, and all the other parts of a balanced life. Listen and learn how 70% of the millionaires in America made their money using real estate. Now your host, real estate investor and consultant, Steve Davis. Happy Wednesday, everybody. This is Trevor Davis, lead wealth coach up here at Total Wealth Academy. Happy day in the middle of the week for everybody to tune in. I really appreciate you tuning in today. And thank you for the emails from last week. Um, in case you guys have not gotten the book yet, you can send me an email, trevor at totalwealthacademy.com to get the free book. That is going to be a free PDF you can access online on your tablet or your smartphone. It Just send me an email, trevor at totalwealthacademy.com, and I'll send you that free PDF. If you have any questions, you can call us in at 281-558-5738. As always, starting with the Einstein quote, the measure of intelligence is the ability to change. I'm rereading a book now called The 13 Things That Mentally Strong People Don't Do, and it's by a psychotherapist by the name of Amy Morin. I actually read this book last year, a little over a year ago at this point, and this is just one of those books that I cannot recommend highly enough. I think that everybody should read this book because it's so interesting to, well, really after coming off from all of these books that tell you what you need to do, what you should be doing, and of course, going on to radio shows and this, that, and the other, and podcasts that tell you you need to do this, that, and the other, what are the things that you need to avoid at the same time? When we're trying to maintain something in anything, there are going to be challenges that inevitably come up. It's not going to be a straight line, perfect path to getting the thing that we want, whatever it is, or whatever goal that we're looking for, small, medium, or large. There's going to be things that cause us to get turned off from that path, get distracted from the path, or cause us to think that the task is more difficult Then we expected, and then we end up quitting somewhere along the way. So I actually really, really like the approach that she took to just say, look, these are 13 things that you need to avoid. So when you see yourself getting caught up in them, you're able to consciously look at that and turn around to get back in the direction the direction that most people out there are writing, which is to say you need to do this, 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 and this. But without looking at the other side, if you start falling into those habits and you don't have an explicit, you don't have the established clarity that says this is something you need to avoid, then you might end up falling into that trap as well. I like how in this book, she talks about change explicitly. And with the quote that I always start with, and As I just continue to think on a daily basis about how we operate as human beings and how I operate as the human being that I am, that with everything that's given to us, with every piece of advice that we get, that is the number one thing that I'm seeing as the most important is the ability to change. Because if we've got something that we want to do, we've got a plan given to us, it's often completely in opposition to many of the things that we're doing now. 
And it's almost by default that we're going to look at that and try not to do those actions simply because the part of our brain that's hardlined to the comfort zone wants to just keep doing the same thing over and over again because it keeps us safe, it keeps us feeling that comfort, and it's not getting us hurt necessarily on a daily basis. It's probably not getting us killed either. So that part of our body just wants us to keep doing the same old thing because with that risk of change comes potentially unknown things that could happen that could possibly be dangerous. At least that's what our brain is telling us. Now, out of the 13, I want to focus on the change today. Each one of the 13 has a whole chapter dedicated to it, and you're probably going to identify a couple of them that you may have fallen into more severely than others. I mean, I could say that to a certain extent, all 13 of these things I've done at one point in time or another for sure, and I think most people have, but there's definitely going to be a couple that you're probably going to resonate with in particular, and she takes specific examples in this book from people that have gone into her practice to get assistance, and she's also taken examples from people that have gone on with that challenge and become beyond, gotten beyond that specific challenge. The one I want to start off with here today is a story of a man named Greg Mathis. And Greg Mathis was raised in the projects of Detroit during the 1960s and 70s. As a teenager, he was arrested many times and he dropped out of school to join a gang. He was incarcerated multiple times. He was dealing drugs. He was committing burglaries. And what ended up happening at the age of 18 was that his mother was diagnosed with colon cancer. And as she lay in the hospital, seeing what his mother was like, he promised her that he was going to turn his life around once and for all at that point. Something about all of that situation provided him the catalyst that he needed to turn his life in a different direction versus the path that that typically takes. So he ended up working at McDonald's, starting at McDonald's. He got accepted to Eastern Michigan University and then finally was able to get into law school and graduated from law school. Now, he was not able to get employment as a lawyer simply because of his established criminal history, but eventually he was able to run for judge. And during the course of his campaigning, the opposition was constantly telling everybody about his past. You know, this man was a criminal, this man was a drug dealer, this man burglarized businesses, this man was incarcerated whenever he was a teenager, this, that, and the other about the things that he'd done before. Now, as somebody who believes in change, seeing what he had become and if that if I was there at that time, I would still want to get my own impression of this person on my own. But that's a very, very significant change that got affected from somebody who was doing criminal activity to becoming a full-on judge on the board whenever he was successfully elected. I would say to a lot of folks out there that the change that you're expecting for is going to take a ton of work 
a ton of effort, lots more than you're probably expecting even now. But if somebody like that from that situation at that point in time, literally turning his life around as a teenager and going to that point, it's definitely a great example that shows how possible it is for all sorts of people in many, many different ways. It's not to say that you have to be from that situation all the way down there, but it does help you understand that even at that point, people are capable of incredible change in their lives. This is the Total Wealth Academy radio show, y'all. We will be back after the break. Stay tuned. money in an IRA, 401k, or other retirement account, you can use it to invest passively in real estate without tax or penalty. Our average rate of return is three times that of the stock market and mutual funds with much less volatility. If you have over $70,000, you can start passive investing today. Please attend our free sample class to learn more. Go to TotalWealthAcademy.com. That's TotalWealthAcademy.com for reservations. Thank you. back everybody we just finished off the story about judge greg mathis from detroit who went from being a criminal in his teen years to a judge in his middle age after successfully campaigning despite all of the opposition's efforts he was able to defeat the 20-year incumbent everything that was said against him you know i'm i'm not the sort of person that's just going to, by default, say that people are going to be the same always, even if it has something to do with that. It's something that people are capable of changing, getting better from. There's definitely a very, very steep hill to climb in that situation. But I think it's really unfair when people get treated as if they're doing those same things now when it's something that they haven't done for years and years and years. And risk assessment-wise, I mean, if you want to be more cautious with someone at first because you're familiar with that history, I think that's one thing, and I think that's reasonable. But I think it starts to get unreasonable when all we're doing is treating somebody based on their past. I think that that's not fair to people. I don't think that's an accurate reflection of how we work as human beings. And as somebody who believes in change... I think that people are capable of doing that with conscious effort. That does not mean I'm going to accept someone at face value who said they've changed. They have to prove that they've changed with their actions. That's why someone like Greg Mathis is so important and so verifiably changed because he was doing these things, he was taking these actions, he was making this difference in the community versus somebody who's just going to... You meet him 10 years down the line and you knew they were somebody that was not very good person 10 years ago. Maybe they brought harm to you or someone that you know, and they just try to say they're changed, 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 and then turns out they're exactly the same. That's a very, very different story. What I think we're really going on, what's going on in our brains when it comes to change is what we've really been trying to examine more deeply here at TWA. And you've heard it, mentioned before on my show and on Steve's show, and we're both still just trying to get what is the clearest way 
that this must be explained. We're, we're both not completely 100% confident in the way that we've written this out so far. So what we're looking at is the difference between the caveman brain, the survival brain, and the thriving brain. You know, even somebody who's lived decades and decades on survival mode just has that nagging other thing that's just asking the question all the time and every day. Is is this the best use of your time? Is this the best thing that I could be doing right now? Is this a waste of my time? Isn't there something else I could be doing right now that could be making more of a difference? You know, it's it's that sort of nagging thing in your brain. And like myself and everybody I know, it says different things, but the message is pretty clear. It's just skeptical of our time commitments. And I also think that it can come up even when you are doing something super constructive and nobody could debate was constructive or not. But it just it's constantly looking for something better. And I just think that's a permanent part of our human psychology. I think that that's just always going to be there because that's going to prevent stagnation. That's going to prevent us from staying in a position that could not, that might not be the best. I mean, somebody who technically has everything in the world is still going to have that. So it pushes them to improve at the very least. But I would say the big problem is whenever that part of our brain does not get correctly cultivated and it just basically functions as this negative force in our mind as we just continue to just do the regular job route, save in the retirement accounts that don't really work, um, listen to people who are doing the same thing and get their advice on money, which does not make any sense. That does not make sense to get advice on people that are not in a better financial position than you are. And we're just sort of stuck in that rut of, okay, ultimately I wake up, I go through the job thing, I do the commute, I come home, I do the things that I like to do after work, go to sleep, rinse and repeat. You know, that's not a terrible life or anything, but it's not what most of us want. It's not what the vast majority of people really and truly want, and that's why there's the conflict. That's why there's the mental suffering. That's why there's the mental illness from that. That's why there's the depression from that. We have to be striving for something basically all the time. There's still going to be the sharp and the saw days. There's that balancing factor there, but we have to be looking for something bigger and working towards a major goal and doing things that take us out of our comfort zone sometimes. I mean, just recently, I started started a band, and now we're at three members, two guitarists, and one drummer. And making that reach out and taking that action was honestly completely terrifying every step of the way because... There was that part of me that was just questioning everything that was going on. Is this going to work out? Is this going to be a weird situation? Am I not going to like the guitar player? Am I not going to like the way that our sound starts working out? 
you know, just all the stuff that's trying to push us back into the survival brain. So there's the negative factor of the survival brain. So we start listening to the thriving brain, the thriving mind, and we get that influence trying to pull us right back. So there's really pros and cons to both parts of our brain there. We can't just pretend like we're just going to be a pure thriving mind and we're just going to be able to superhumanly ignore all of our survival needs. That's impossible. You have to eat every day. You have to drink water. You have to go to sleep. You have to do very basic things to take care of the human body that you are, that I don't just say you're in and act like you're trapped in it or anything like that. I don't agree with that assessment. There are things that you're going to have to do, but when those things are done and taken care of overwhelmingly, like they're taken care of overwhelmingly for most of us listening now, and especially for most of us in this country, we're, we've got our food, we've got our water, our shelter. That's, the, that's another big thing. You have to have shelter, you know, your place to live, your ability to sleep. All of that stuff is covered. And then all of a sudden, having all of these things, the other part of our brain just starts speaking the loudest and starts questioning our motivations and questioning the actions that we've taken and tries to push us into a more positive, more constructive and richer direction. Now, while it's doing that, though, let's just elaborate on the other downside. It may start over-questioning the things that you've done. You have to give yourself credit where credit is due because a lot of us are constantly beating ourselves up. You don't have to beat yourself up to get yourself to take action. That's never worked for me. I don't know anybody who that's worked for, if anything, that just makes you end up feeling worse than you did in the first place. And then you end up not doing anything because you stressed yourself out so much. You're not capable of thinking straight to take action on something that requires rational, calm thought, like working towards a goal and enacting discipline. Like you cannot enact discipline with an irate, emotional, or rational state of mind. It just does not seem to work. So you have to be fair to yourself and give yourself credit for the stuff that you have accomplished and make sure that you're not just going to keep saying, oh, I'm this age or I'm 25, just graduated college, and I don't have the job that I thought I was going to get, or I'm 35 and I'm not a millionaire yet, or I'm 45 and I don't know if I'm going to be able to pay for my kid's college, or whatever, whatever it is that we're saying to ourselves that's just not helpful, not constructive, just ends up making the problem worse, that it's not ever, ever going to help. That's my belief with that. Don't waste your time beating yourself up. You're here on this earth. You've got the time that you need, therefore, to take the actions that you want to do. If you want to take that change, that option is still available for you. Now, that is going to be my explanation for that today with the caveman mind versus a thriving brain. When we talk about thriving versus surviving, choose the thriving. Don't ignore the thriving would be all of that right there in a nutshell. Choose to thrive. Don't ignore the survival. You always have to do that as well. So as time goes on, 
And we are talking about age, as I just started talking about. Age is something that we have to face on a regular basis because what is happening to the human body as time goes on? Are we getting stronger, smarter necessarily, brains getting sharper, visions getting stronger, sight, the, our hearing's getting better, our muscles are getting stronger? No, across the board, unfortunately. Now, I don't say that we're trapped in a body, but we do have pros and cons with it. One of the things that changes as we get older is that we start getting older. We get weaker. We get less capable of doing a lot of the things that we're usually capable of doing. And what it really ends up getting to is not necessarily just to say, yeah, it's always getting worse all the time because I just think that's a pessimistic focus. But what's for sure going to happen is that we're going to get to a point sooner or later. It could even be in your 40s or 30s, for goodness sake. But you're going to get to a point where you do not want to work anymore. What are you going to have financially at that point to cover your expenses once you get to the point in your 60s, 70s, 80s, or whatever age that you do not want to work or can't work anymore? Stay tuned, y'all. We'll be right back at the halfway point of the Total Wealth Academy radio show. The stock market was never designed to build wealth. It was designed to keep up with inflation. The average rate of return over the last 75 years is about 7%. You'll get that even with the ups and downs. If you want a higher rate of return and less volatility, consider real estate. We make about three times as much as the stock market. Please attend our free sample class to learn more. Go to TotalWealthAcademy.com. That is TotalWealthAcademy.com for reservations. Thank you. Welcome back, everybody, to the Total Wealth Academy radio show. Trevor Davis, your host, wealth coach at Total Wealth Academy. We just started getting into the age factor. And long time I've been the kind of person that just said age is just a number. Um, as I've started my 30s, I've already learned that that's not exactly the case. There are definitely things that are changing already. Things have always been changing, and maybe it's just now I have the more necessary realistic outlook of it, but now that I understand how this is working and how all humans that have lived to this age and everybody older than me who has as well, I mean, I'm understanding the experience and I'm definitely humbled by it, and I can understand how to better approach the changes as they come. And one of those big changes is whether to work or not. Do you want to work or do you not want to work? Okay, probably most of us don't want to work. Maybe. That's typically what I'm familiar with. And maybe that's the millennial thing or not. But that's typically what I'm familiar with when I talk to people. And maybe that's just me being in the younger time period, younger age group. Maybe the attitudes typically change, but there's going to be people that want to work, don't want to work. The people that don't want to work are therefore going to be the ones that want to get out of the working environment as quickly as humanly possible. You're going to have bills, though. 
So what is your solution, if that's your conclusion, to paying your bills? Are you going to freeload off of your family members? No, that's not a good idea because they're just going to have to pay for your expenses and you're going to put them in a worse position. That's not fair to any family member for you to be an adult and become completely and totally dependent on them in that way. And if that's not going to work, are you going to depend on the government? Well, the government is not going to give you enough money whenever you're in this age group to spend as much as you're going to want to. They're going to give you some unemployment for a little while, which requires that you continue to apply for jobs. Then you need to get yourself a job. You have to work. You have to contribute back. You want to find something that you want to do to get out of the mindset of not wanting to work because that's just not helpful. You're going to have to work. You're going to have to do something that contributes back to other people, helps and serves other people in some way. You could start a business. You could hire people to work all the nitty-gritty stuff for you if that's really what you want to do, if you're that averse to the old-fashioned type of work. But that's still going to require some out-of-pocket expenses. How are you going to get that if you don't have it already? Probably by old-fashioned work, saving up, convincing some people to invest with you. That's work, too. It's going to require work. So those are the people that are already on board with the idea that, hey, I want to get to a point where I don't need to work. Therefore, doing something like real estate makes a whole lot of sense. But the other side is the people that love working and want to work forever. But there's that reality, though, as as our bodies continue to age, we're going to get to a point where even that type of person doesn't want to work anymore or physically can't. And let's say it's the most extreme where it's the person that literally physically cannot do that anymore, that they still want to work, but they physically cannot do that in that sense anymore. They're going to need to have something at that time to pay their bills. And my concern with the people that love work in particular is that because they're in that mode, which is what people should be in anyhow, But because they're so in love with the traditional job and the traditional career, they might not be paying attention to the passive investing that needs to go on at the same time. If somebody is, and this is going to be kind of a difficult statement to say because I really have to explain this clearly, but if somebody is so in love with their job, that's an awesome thing, but it can't come with the distraction of avoiding the investments, avoiding the things that need to be done in the background so that when they turn 80 years old, like a lot of people will do, they have their bills paid and taken care of, and they don't have to be a burden on their family, their children, their friends, and they don't have to just rely on Social Security or one of those crappy retirement accounts that made you lose control of your money, and now because you're retired, you can finally actually use it, that, that's not the thing that you want to do. And in any case, no matter what your approach is to work, love it, hate it, somewhere in between, 
you want to have income that's working on the side at the same time. You want to be building up those secondary income streams, as Warren Buffett said now 48 years ago. Now, in our conference room, if you look up to the top left, you're going to see Warren Buffett's picture that Steve put up. And Warren Buffett just says, you cannot depend on a single source of income work to create a second source. There's always been challenges, no matter what phase of time we're in, that makes getting to that point challenging or maybe more challenging than others. But ultimately, you have to be working to create two streams of income, three streams, four streams, or more, because that's the true diversification. You know, there's a lot of talk about that word, and when it does not make sense to just say, hey, you need to go out and buy a little bit of stocks, buy a little bit of um, Bitcoin, a little bit of real estate, you know, if certain investments just don't work, period, why would you go out and buy them in the name of diversification? Because the stock market is still not working out for the vast majority of people. We know real estate works. We know that Bitcoin worked for a while before it crashed. The diversification that makes sense has to be that. That's what makes the most sense. The multiple income stream approach is the diversification that truly makes sense. Let's say, for example, like myself, I have my traditional job. I have the real estate, and the thing I'm doing now is the skincare products with Super Balm. That's why I'm going to the farmer's market this Saturday. That's why I've been doing this, simply because I had an interest in taking care of my skin from, you probably guessed it, some of the changes that come with getting older. The stuff that I was using didn't work, so I was like, I'll just make it. I mean, you probably, if you're listening to the show, know that I make beer, so... That's That process of making beer compared to making lotion and balm is much, much easier. It was a very easy process. I figured out my recipe. It's what works for me. It was what's been working for the people that I've sold it to so far. That's been something that's ended up being a passion that's allowed me to supplement my income. And this is just a small business that I'm starting. But it's been something that's been very, very helpful for me psychologically, confidence-wise, and I know that this is something that's allowing me to improve myself, make a change, get out of my comfort zone, and improve my life in general. That's something that I want everybody to approach. Because of how effective the internet economy has become, there are so many ways for people to be able to get into a small business or a large business. I mean, think go for go for big if you want to. I just wanted to start small. That's the way that it works for me. That's typically what I encourage people to do to like break it down at least and get it step by step so you don't overwhelm yourself at the beginning. But I know that everybody has some idea for a business, and let's just call it a small business that they could run and com commit part-time amount of time, too, that allows them to supplement their income 
and continue to build their wealth and use that to start getting into real estate or use that to continue supplementing real estate. But that's been something that's been a huge boon for myself to be able to feel all of these good feelings to satisfy my thriving mind. Because whenever you don't do that type of thing, your survival brain gets in control, starts detracting you away from that thriving mind. I highly recommend everybody focus on building that second stream of income with a creative outlet in some way, shape, or form. Go out and volunteer sometimes if that's just what you want to do to get started immediately. Um, But I cannot recommend enough starting a small business as one of those income streams for you. Find out what it is that you're passionate about. And if it's something that doesn't require a huge out-of-pocket expense, that's a plus. But that's going to give you a lot of self-confidence, a lot of psychological improvement and mental health. And you're going to make some dough from it as well, which is never, never, never a bad thing. So I highly, highly recommend expanding upon that. And of course, with our real estate, as we look towards this down market, which we are hoping is going to be coming at the end of this year, the beginning of next year, with all the signs that I'm seeing, there's going to be a lot of opportunities for us to get into the real estate market, especially for the first time for first timers. We'll be back after the break, folks. This is the Total Wealth Academy radio show. Stay tuned. an old joke. When is the best time to buy real estate? 20 years ago. When is the second best time? Today. And this is truer than ever with the impending recession and the correction that's going on right now. Real estate investors are going to make millions of dollars in the next few years because of the recession. You should take advantage of it as well. To find out how, please attend our free sample class to learn more. Go to TotalWealthAcademy.com. TotalWealthAcademy.com. Just click on the free sample class button. Thank you. Welcome back, everybody, to the final segment of our show for today. Um, I want to do the market update, the stock market, as I've been doing for the past five weeks, um, because I, I hate whenever information that is somewhat contrary to the main purported or um, message of the show seems to be going on. Of course, we're real estate enthusiasts. It's still the most effective thing. But I don't want to just suddenly drop off with the stock market updates when it's slightly looking a little bit better. Um, you did hear before the show that there was a point drop, but I just want to give the update on the Dow because five weeks ago it was at negative 12. Now it's at negative 6 year to date. So S&P 500 was at negative 16. Now it's at just negative 8. And then NASDAQ was at a full negative 25%. Now it's at negative 16%. So looking at the graph, we see... The massive downturn since the beginning of 2020 when it was at, sorry, 2022, we we saw the biggest scores out of basically every um, compilation of stock values, and then it started to drop, and then basically we've gotten a little uptick over about the last month and a half, it looks like, and the thing to know, though, is that this is a normal process of the down market especially when it's coming off from high, an extremely high point like we got from after the 2020 recession. And I mean, looking at the graph of the NASDAQ, which has has had the most dramatic turns percentage-wise, I mean, this thing was at 
almost 10,000 right before COVID started. We had a dip that got it all the way down to 7,000. And then all the way over those two years, we hit 2022 and it's at over 16,000. So there's been a lot of very interesting changes in the world economy. But let's just say the U.S. economy since COVID started. And there's some people out there that are just basically insisting that the recession is going to be either super, super bad or super, super not bad because we've learned our lessons from 2007 and 8 and 9 and the banks are on top of it this time and there's so much wealth that's now been squirreled away by some of the biggest companies out there. I mean, that's a large part of the reason why we've had such a huge buildup in these stock values. There's been a large shift of wealth over the last two years with the COVID pandemic. I think there's a lot that can be said about it. I'm not going to expand on a ton of that today or anything because that is a very, very, very hefty topic to go over. But I just didn't want to just suddenly drop off talking about these stocks and people ask like, well, didn't the market go up a little bit, Trevor? Well, sure. And it's probably going to go up a little bit more maybe over this next week, I guess, except with that news that we heard about the NASDAQ right before the show started. But we're going to, as always, with the downturns, the down parts that go down are longer than those little upturns that kind of mitigate an otherwise straight line going straight down into the whatever is going to be the very bottom of this market. And not to mention that it's only August. We've got four and a half months left of the year, which really makes it seem like it's coming around the corner now that I say that out loud. If, like most of Americans think, it's going to happen by the end of this year or into the beginning of next year, which is what happened in 2008 because it was effectively starting right at the end of December 2007, January 2008 when the crash started, so... Crashes are actually pretty common during the winter months. That's actually something that I noticed whenever I was going through the months and dates of the crashes throughout U.S. history. Kind of unusual maybe, but maybe it makes sense since it's colder and just people are not out and about as much, even with Christmas spending. So it's going to be an interesting ride. So we have to make sure that our diversification strategy at least involves some real estate. Because the real estate in the down market is what we prefer. It's what most people prefer. It's the market that doesn't make you tear your hair out every time someone outbids you on a property. That's a huge challenge for a lot of folks, especially for people starting out, is that the properties are already overpriced. Everybody in their, everybody knows this. Everybody and their uncle and grandma knows that the market is in a high real estate market, even now. And once we see that drop, it's going to be pretty dramatic. Maybe it'll be less dramatic, but we're going to have a better real estate investor market as it's always happened. I almost get the impression that despite the fact that this is how it always works, despite the fact that this has happened tons of times just in the history, the short history of our country, relatively short history of our country, it always does the same thing. There's always a down markets. There's always the up markets that somehow people think that we are in control of the economy 
and it's not going to happen or it's not going to be that bad. I just suggest that you assume it's not in our control. One, because it's not. There are ways to influence it for sure with our fiscal policy, through the policies of the Federal Reserve, through the policies from Congress. But ultimately, the economy is going to do what it will. People are going to be confident or unconfident in the market as they will. So we're going to see the down market. And yes, I agree that it's probably going to be some time around this winter. I think that makes the most sense. I think latest, it'll be by the end of next spring. That's what most people are agreeing on. I'm not going to tell you that I am an economist or I am a complete professional that can advise federal policy. This is just the information that I'm getting from my understanding of the people that are the professionals. So far, that seems to be what we're looking at. And of course, as you learn at our classes, you learn how to take advantage of real estate. You understand, though, how to do that during these up markets, too. But the down market is what we prefer because the prices have lowered. As unfortunate as, as it is to say, the opportunities often arise because people have to get foreclosed on because layoffs occur. That's a huge, huge part of down markets. If you get laid off, and it's not if, but when you get laid off, and you have five, six, seven rental houses that provide you a good $2,500, $3,000 a month in just the cash flow net, you know, that's going to be a lot easier to swallow that layoff when you've got most of your bills, or at least a significant portion of your bills, paid. That's going to make it much, much easier for you to get your feet back on the ground, to get back in the saddle and find another opportunity in your field at that time. Maybe it takes a little while. Maybe you have to try a different market. That's There's a lot of challenges that come from recessions, but when those foreclosures happen or pre-foreclosures, people have to sell their properties. It's a down market, and they have to sell it quick. So you've got two factors that are causing the price to get pulled down. Those are the properties that are also, as unfortunate as it, as it is to say, are typically ones that need rehab. People that get foreclosed on don't tend to have a perfectly clean, perfectly maintained house. So these houses tend to have been beaten up, not taken care of properly, roof issues, plumbing issues, electrical issues, flooring not taken care of, paint never touched up, um, toilets not cleaned properly. Um, that's always a head scratcher. I, I don't, I've never had problem cleaning my own toilets. You just make sure that you just do that on a regular basis. But you see some very interesting stuff in apartments and houses. So those properties have a huge value to get extracted with in terms of the equity, even in just the down market once it's fixed. But if you decide to end up selling that thing once the high market comes, like the one we've been dealing with, that's the time when you end up making the most profit on the sale of your property. So there's going to be some good hold periods during these rental properties. Whenever you acquire a rental property, you're not just going to be holding it for a couple of months. 
because that doesn't make sense because you went through the trouble of probably getting a hard money loan and then refinancing into a conventional with two closings. If it's profitable, of course, like every deal is different, but for the vast majority of those deals, you're probably going to want to hold on to it for a little while to allow that equity to build up a bit more, enjoy your cash flow, and and enjoy the the work that you put into that property. I mean, you know, get what you paid for, for goodness sake, and get some of that cash flow with your, when you have your renter in there. So there's benefits to both, but the frustration that's been going on for the past two years for folks is going to be significantly reduced and probably removed completely once this down market comes. I'm not somebody that says just wait. I am somebody that says start practicing and looking now. Get yourself ready for the down market and start learning how to do real estate as soon as possible. So when it comes, you're prepared. We've got our free sample class tomorrow at 6.30 p.m. Sign up at TotalWealthAcademy.com forward slash class. My name is Trevor Davis. I'll meet you there. I teach the class. Thank you all so much for tuning in today, and you all have a great rest of your week. You've been listening to the Total Wealth Academy radio show. Please remember that this show is for entertainment purposes only and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investing advice. Always get a professional opinion before making any investment decisions. To find out more about coaching and consulting at Total Wealth Academy, visit TotalWealthAcademy.com and attend one of our free sample classes on real estate investing. Thanks for listening. Have a great day.